Well, um, I'm Rich Gao. For those of you that are here for the first time, Pastor Rich, and uh, we have a Sunday service here in which before the next one starts, they ask me uh, anything series. We're going to talk about the succession that's uh, taking place here at Five Stones. In January, I talked about how I'll be stepping down uh, as senior pastor after 18 years. I'm going to be turning uh, the reins over to Pastor John. And so I wanted to talk this morning about the rightness and goodness of succession and look at what will change and what won't change as this transition takes place. So John and I are going to be co-preaching this morning. I'm going to take about 20, 25 minutes, and then John will follow up after me. And um, yeah, let's start out with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive in. So Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, God, that you love to be among your people, that we are your redeemed community, and we have things to shout about, and we have things to praise you for, God, regardless of our circumstance or our situation. We thank you that you're a great father. We thank you that you're the great expositor, that when we come to the scriptures, you can impress things upon our hearts that are life-changing. And this morning, we ask that as I share and as John share, that you would touch us and speak to us. We thank you now in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So as you see here on my title slide, this is uh, how I've entitled our message uh, for today. And you know, we are here after 2,000 years after Jesus started the church because of succession. Succession is the lifeblood of organizations. Without it, they don't have legacy or longevity. That we are here as a local church in downtown New West is an organizational miracle because very few organizations live for 2,000 years. In fact, it could be argued that the church is the longest running organization in history, especially when you date it back to the formation of Israel, which is really the early version of the church, making us nearly 4,000 years old. And what's amazing is we don't feel old because the Spirit of God never ages. He's always new. He's always fresh. He's always relevant. He's always vibrant. So even though we've been running for 4,000 years, we are not old. We still have the fresh presence of God. Now, having endured this long, this means that tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of leadership successions have taken place all over the world in order for you and I to be here. In every age, every century, every nation, big churches, small churches, city churches, rural churches, the chain has never been broken. Is that amazing? Of course, there have been botched handovers. There have been wrong handoffs. There have been horrible seasons of leadership. But through it all, the church has remained. This speaks to the power of succession and how God is vested in it. And why is God vested in succession? Why was Jesus' most important assignment, apart from going to the cross, raising up the 12 disciples? Because God loves to include us in his plan. If you think about it, God using human leadership seems to be a setup for failure. He could just say, you know what? You guys get it wrong all the time. I'm just tired of it. I'm going to take over. As parents, you know, you you train your kids, you teach them, and there's moments where you just go, that's it. I'm going to do it. As human leaders, we're weak, we're foolish, we're petty, we're short-sighted, we're sinful, insecure, we're flawed, we're broken, we're unfaithful. But God loves us so dearly, and he loves to use us for his purposes. Succession is right and good because God has deemed it right and good. God is all in on the church, and there's one simple strategy that God uses to mobilize the next generation of leaders. We step down so others can step up. We step down so others can step up. Jesus had to leave this earth so the 12 could step up. Can you imagine being under Jesus' shadow? None of the leaders would step up because he's the perfect son of God. He's the perfect governor. He's the perfect savior. But when he left, the 12 had to step up. Barnabas and Paul left the first Gentile church in its infant stage so that the leaders there could step up. 
Paul turned over Ephesus, the Ephesus church to Timothy, so Timothy could step up. Moses stepped down so Joshua could step up. Elijah stepped down so that Elisha could step up. You know, it's very comfortable when leaders don't step down. We're all just used to the routine. We're just all used to all the different things that that come with that leader. And then all of a sudden the shakeup comes because that leader steps on and a new leader steps in. And it's uncomfortable for a while, but it's necessary. Stepping down is part of God's strategy for moving the leadership cue forward. There are so many people that have callings from the Lord to lead. But if leaders don't step down, they can't move into the queue. The pipeline cannot be released. So succession is a right and a good thing. And when we look at leadership leadership succession, there's always two aspects to it. What will change and what won't change? What will change and what won't change? When Tim Cook took over for the legendary Steve Jobs at CEO as the next leader, the first thing that Tim Cook did was write an email to all the employees of Apple explaining what would not change. In doing that, Mr. Cook was following the example of Jesus. Before Jesus handed off the church to the disciples, he told them the things to keep and to protect. Make sure that you preach my death and resurrection. Make sure you tell the world that their sins are atoned for. It's forgiven, past, present, and future. There are approximately 7 billion people on the earth right now. That doesn't count for all the people that have lived throughout history. By the time history is wrapped up, demographic experts say there may be 100 billion people that have lived. Jesus died for every single one of those people's sins, multiple times over, past, present, and future. That's the good news. We can be set free from our sin. So you 12 disciples, I'm putting this upon you. Tell them that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I just picture Jesus calling out the 12, each of them by name. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Bartholomew, Thomas, Judas, Simon. Guys, you get it? You got this? This can't be compromised. The message won't change. But I also want you guys to know how things will be different. When you make disciples in every nation, you'll be planting churches in different cultures with different languages. So it won't look the same. It won't be cookie cutter. It won't be a Hebrew church like you see it now. But it might be a Latino church, a European church. It might be a Chinese church, an African church, or a Canadian church. Yet, it will still be a New Covenant, New Testament church. This is the genius of God, how churches can be different from generation to generation, from different geographical locations to different geographies, from leaders to leaders, and yet still be the same, having the same glorious vibe of Jesus being in the midst of them. Aren't you glad Jesus is in the midst of us? If Jesus is not in the midst of us, close up shop and go home. There's no reason to be here. Otherwise, we're just going through the motions. We are just a social club. What makes us distinct and different from the Lions or the Rotaries or any other clubs that are out there? We have the presence of Jesus. You're the covenant people. We get to steward it and walk with God. If there is no Jesus, there's no reason to have church. But no matter where, doesn't matter the leader or the region or the generation, there's still that palpable palpable sense of Jesus being with us. This is what succession is about, maintaining that lineage and that heritage of Jesus. And so as I hand the church off to John, I'm excited for it. It's part of God's circle of life for churches. Now, it doesn't mean that the changes will be easy, but it's right and it's good. In many ways, the real test of how successful I am as a founder is not how well this church has fared while I pastored it, but how well will it fare after I'm gone? What will Five Stones look like in 10 years, 15 years, 30 years, 50 or 100 years? So as we look at what will change and what won't change, let me take us through a few scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of ministries and the same Lord. There are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. God has placed the members, God has placed the leaders, each of them, in the body just as he desired. So verse 4 calls out different gifts. Verse 5 calls out different ministries. Verse 6 calls out different effects. Each leader has their own set of giftings and ministries and effects. John will be different. He has his own blend of gifts from God, and this is how God has designed it. God gives power to every senior leader. John's going to feel a new power jolt when he steps into this pulpit as a senior leader. When we lay hands on him in September and install him as a senior leader, he's going to feel a different power. God has given power to every senior leader. It's a special thing to experience the anointing of God and the spirit of God come upon you. It's a supernatural transaction that's invisible to the human eye, but I tell you, it is felt in the heart. John has power tools that will be different than mine. I have a set of power tools. John has a set of power tools. They are his power tools that God has given. To build a house, a carpenter has to lay the foundation, put up the framing, set the doors and windows, and put a roof on it. But how each carpenter builds that house will reflect his style and skill. As fathers, we don't demand that all the kids be the same, right? Rather, we make room for them to be different. In fact, that's the joy of being a dad. We relish the variety. So we make room for leaders to be different while carrying the same family name. For a leader to be successful, there are universal principles to be followed. But how they lead will be varied. How they communicate, how they achieve goals, make decisions, their work rhythm, their work pace, how they dress, how they talk, their people skills, their presence, their ministry burdens, their passions, their strengths and their weaknesses. It's all varied, just like Paul indicates to us in this passage, and it's good. What won't change? Let me take us through a few passages. Ecclesiastes seven eighteen. It's good that you grasp one thing and also not let go of the other. For the one who fears God comes forth with both of them. Philippians 3, which is a companion verse to this thought. Paul says, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. I want John to press on towards the high call of God in his life and in this church. That's the zeal that we want to see in our leaders. We don't want to see them handcuffed. We want to see them feel liberated in that sense that God is behind me. The wind is at my back and I want to have zeal in what I want to do. Do you want a leader that's without zeal? Do you want a leader that's without passion? You want a leader with zeal. In fact, the definition of the church is a people who are zealous for God. That's why Jesus calls out the church in Laodicea. You are not hot. You are not cold. You are lukewarm. Where is the passion? Where is the zeal? Where is the initiative? I want John to flourish and to take five stones to the next level, to the next chapter. And I have confidence he will come forth with both. As it says in Ecclesiastes there, reaching for what God has next for five stones while protecting what has been established. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. He says, I commend you for remembering me in everything and for maintaining the tradition just as I pass them on to you. And he writes to Timothy at the end of his life, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Now as founder of this church, I will maintain oversight over this house. This authority is not for control purposes, but for the church's protection, safety, and quality control. This is not to micromanage the house, 
but to make sure that the essence of the church is maintained. In this verse here from 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul says and commends them for maintaining the tradition handed down to them, down to them in the Greek, the original Greek, it's a very powerful word. The Greek there is called paradosis, and it refers to the things that have been delivered to you that I have handed down to you, as in the teachings, the interpretation of the law, as instructions concerning the gathering of believers, concerning doctrine, concerning instructions how we should live as Christians on a daily basis. Corinthians, I've handed these things to you. This is the tradition. So when we hear the word tradition, we can think of maybe ritualistic form, but that's not what Paul is referring to. This word that he's talking about is broad and substantive and deep in its meaning, pertaining to the very life, the bone and marrow of the church. Now this word, paradosis, shares the same Greek root as paradigm. Paradosis and paradigm have the same Greek root, which helps to convey to us the sense of the framework, the culture, the DNA, the practices and models of the church that were established by Paul. So when Paul wrote his letters, it was an expression of his apostolic mantle and heart that God had given to him to keep the churches he planted pure and healthy, on mission and vibrant. So practically speaking, what things will not change? First of all, the doctrine here will not change. We have a high view of the Bible, and more and more it's becoming politically incorrect to believe what we do about the Bible. More and more you will experience hostility from the public square. You will experience hostility at the water cooler. You will experience hostility if you tell people, I believe in the word of God. I believe it's true. I believe it's inerrant. You believe it's inerrant? How about what science says? How about what our law says? How about what our dialogue and our debates say? Absolutely, I believe in the word of God. That won't change. We have a reformed theological framework here. We're not five-point Calvinists, but we're four-point Calvinists. We won't go into the whole thing. Most of you have maybe heard about TULIP, the acronym that describes, in theological terms, the soteriology of believers, how someone comes to salvation in Jesus. So there's one little letter there in TULIP, L, which in five-point framework says that the atonement of Jesus is limited. We don't preach the limited atonement of Jesus. We preach the limitless atonement of Jesus. We also have a charismatic theology here, not because we're trying to be elite or we're trying to swing from the chandeliers, but because this is what the Bible says. We are what we call continuists and not cessationists. And out of this charismatic perspective, which is a view and embrace of the Holy Spirit that he's here today with his gifts, with his expressions, comes a prophetic culture that we've established here. Hearing from the Holy Spirit, moving in the Holy Spirit, being sensitive to being God's instruments and ambassadors. And out of that comes the supernatural dynamic the idea that when we go to the red carpet, we can be healed. My left eye, it's blind. I can see now. I couldn't walk, but now I can walk. I have a bent back. Now I can walk straight. Yeah, the Holy Spirit can do that. If you believe that God is all-powerful, the connection between that thought and that God can heal you is so simple. Don't make it complicated. If God is all-powerful, can he touch you? Can he heal you? Absolutely. So it only takes the, the simple devotion of a little child to understand the big heart of God. We've also established a prayer and worship culture here. We want to continue that. The quickest way to find out what will happen to a church is stop prayer. The church will go flat. The church will lack fire. The church will lack zeal. The church will be under warfare. The weeds will pop up in the garden, but prayer is like water, like fertilizer. It makes the garden flourish. And worship culture is so important. It goes along with the prayer and the prophetic and the charismatic culture and environment that we have established here. 
we also have a very distinct leadership framework. By golly, it comes from the Bible. Ephesians chapter 4. God gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. All five of them are given to the body of Christ to equip us. Hence, we have an apostolic team that oversees our church. Greg and Ben and Chuck and myself as I lead the team. We have elders and deacons, all part of our leadership framework. Another distinctive that we have here at Five Stones is a multi-generational focus. We love the generations flowing together, small, young, and old. It's so important to have that mix in a church. We have nothing against, you know, certain churches that are just focused on a particular generation, but we have loved the value of being together in a multi-generational way. Of course, it's hard to be in Vancouver and not be multi-ethnic, but there are churches in the area that are not multi-ethnic. We don't want to be monoculture. We want to be multi-ethnic. We have a very welcoming and friendly culture. Of course, our sanctuary holds six, you know, 100 people. It's hard to come in and not be noticed, but our people love to pounce on others in a good sense of the word. Mimi and I come from Minnesota. We pastored there before we started the church here in Vancouver. And Minnesotans are some of the nicest people in America. If you've not been to the Midwest, I encourage you to go there. And we had some friends come here and they were just loved on by our church and probably one of the highest compliments they gave me and gave us as a church. They said, wow, this church is even more friendly than Minnesotans. Wow. I should have framed that and put it up <laughs> on the wall. We also have an Antioch call. You learn about this in E1. That comes from Acts chapter 13, the first Gentile church, how they sent out Paul and Barnabas to be a church planting team. There is a call upon us to be a church planting church. And as you know, my next chapter is focused on this. I've written a book, started a website, and churches are already starting to come online. In fact, when we're done... At the end of June, Mimi and I are going to be flying straight to Pensacola. We're going to set in our new senior pastor for a church plant there in Florida. We have two others already that are in the pipeline. One is in New York City. And we have another one which we'll announce later as details are more forthcoming. But we're building out a web platform with web channels, podcast channels, apps, social media presence, training capabilities, and more. In that sense, our Antioch will go forward. I would be like the director of church planting. And I have felt so invigorated thinking about this next chapter. I felt like I've actually caught a jet stream that I did not anticipate. I was looking, you know, a lot of my friends my age are like, oh, just enjoy your time. You're going to kind of be retired. And I go, yeah, I kind of have that mindset. But it's like the Lord is taking me up to another jet stream. And I feel like a spigot has been turned on. Two years ago when I talked about stepping down, I gave us the picture of my battery just running down, the idea that the treads on my tire were just worn down. I feel like completely the opposite now. I feel so much energy, so much excitement, like God turned off this one spout and now he's turned on another. So it's very exciting for me. But this is part of our Antioch call, point number 11 there. We're also called to be a city-reaching church we feel prophetically God has supernaturally opened up for us to be here in downtown New West, in the center of the center. New West is the center of the greater Vancouver area. And so we have an opportunity to steward something. Jeremiah 29, seek the welfare of the city, has been a mandate that we've embraced strongly. Now, in years past, we've had a dream center. For those of you that have only joined the church since we've been in this location. We were 10 years at Douglas College and without a regular meeting place. And we had a, a dream center, up, center facility set up in Burnaby in which we were constantly reaching out to our city. I'm bringing up this point kind of as a segue to what John is going to be sharing in a little bit. But we have been vigorously engaged in many compassion activities in years past. We've had documentary nights where we showed really, really cool videos 
of wonderful things that are going on in the world. We had a, a soccer team that was made up of homeless, and they, and they formed this team and began competing in tournaments around the world. We had a movie around the Invisible City, which was the Project Kids in Toronto. We had another emphasis on sex trafficking. We had Miss Canada featured here. We've done bike repair and safety fairs for Muslim kids. We had Wally Project, which is a project which we raise money for families that can't buy Christmas gifts for their kids. We've done downtown Eastside outreaches. We've tried multiple times to get after-school and daycare facility approved. We've run into just the red tape at City Hall. Unfortunately, those didn't work out. Pastor John has even sat on social service committees here in the city, preschool, next councils, HIAC committee. We've done hot chocolate outreaches, show and shine parades, just a few quick pictures. This was early on when we moved down and we just set up a table, handed out free lemonades to the, to the public as the show and shine antique cars were displayed. Davey, who is one of our pastors, led an outreach here over Christmas, handing out scarves during the wintertime when they were cold. Carmen and, and Heidi here, they made from our Hive City business just footstools that we were able to deliver to the elementary school because the little kids would come in and they would have breakfast, but they didn't have enough chairs. So we delivered these chairs to this school right here in New West. Fridays on Front is coming back after two-year hiatus from covid so these are just a few of the things that we have done, and we're excited about this coming back even more under the new banner of our Action Center. Last point there is the creativity piece. The reason why we're called Five Stones Church is because of how the Lord quickened the story of David and Goliath to us and how creativity was at one of those core uh, moments when Goliath looked at David and said, what is this? And we want to create those moments where the world says, what is this? What is this church? What are you doing? You have a cafe? You have a design studio? You're living in a warehouse? Creativity is such an important part of our ethos. And I'm so thankful that Pastor John is an architect and has such a great design eye. So it just all worked together. The last thing that I forgot to put on here with regard to things that won't change or hopefully won't change, is donuts on Father's Day. <laughs> That's a really important part of our culture. Um, but these represent the organizational, corporate values and priorities, convictions that are to be maintained here at the church. Which brings us back then to the leadership transition at hand, at the pastoral level. What do the Pauls of this world do? Well, they release Timothy's. And I just want to put up this verse here because this represents my confidence and my love for John. Paul writing, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. I really have that deep sense of the kindred spirit between John and myself. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know of his proven worth that he has served me with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving the Father. So this gives us a little perspective and overview of the things that are forthcoming. And I want to ask John to come up now. Well, as Rich and I met to talk about the next season, what will change, what won't change. To be honest with you, if I have to be asked that question... I feel like I can't answer it. I know I'm different from Rich, so our leadership style will be different. However, in what we do in the mission and vision of Five Stones, I know there won't be much shift. So much of what Five Stones is, today I was a part of building. I remember the weeks that Rich, myself, and Kezia, we sat at Waves because we didn't have a place to meet. We didn't have this building. We didn't have a warehouse. We had no, nowhere to go, so we sat in a coffee shop. And for weeks, we were going through the ecclesiology of who we are as a church and what we're supposed to do, coming up with so many different reiterations of what we have now boiled down to three words, gospel, disciple, and influence. 
This is still who we are, and it's still what we're going to be. This is something that we built together. It isn't something that, that Rich did or what I did or what Kezia did. It is something that God impressed onto Five Stones, and this will continue to be the mission of Five Stones Church. So I could say that the mission and the culture of Five Stones Church will remain, and I will just continue to build on top of everything that we already do. Starting in March, when I decided to go on a fast to seek after the Lord in my role here for the next season, I took a break from the morning prayer to devote my time for more, during morning prayer to figure out what this next season means for me and for my family. And I wanted to ask, God, what do you want me to do with Five Stones? Where do you want me to lead it? One of the things that I kept in mind that I really didn't know what to do with is that we're coming out of a two-year pandemic. It's a new season. People, people's lives have changed. We don't necessarily see this as a bad thing, but we also need to know that the values and lifestyles have changed, priorities have changed. So how does this affect how people now interact with the church? Another thing that I kept in mind is that right now within everything that has happened over the last couple of years with the pandemic, I also see a lot of new ideas in how people see the church and not all of it is positive. And I find that even myself, I don't necessarily disagree with all of those sentiments. Yet I think a lot of the things that the church has been doing in the history of not just Five Stones, but all church, all the things that has been exposed and has, that, that were hidden has, has come out because God has allowed these things to come out. So what do I do with all of these as a leader? I believe that God cares. I believe that God cares for what has been surfaced. I believe that not only does God cares, but God wants the church to lead the way in how it reconciles all of these issues, but also changes the perception of what people have formed. I'm not entirely sure that I am the type of pastor that's right for this church. I'm not sure really where to lead it. So these were the things that I wanted to take to God. To have him give me a big download to show me what to do, to give me the answers, and I will lead the church towards that place. And so I decided to fast and pray, and to my surprise, God didn't give me anything in regards to strategy, in regards to direction of five stones, and what this next big thing is supposed to be. He gave me nothing in terms of how am I supposed to lead the church. Instead, God gave me answers to who am I? He answered things and dealt with things within myself and, 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 and my identity in him. He reassured me of who I am. He reinstated, he reinstated a personal time uh, with him, which I have felt that have gone off track, and he gave me his heart for the poor. God took me back to a place in which I had forgotten. He took me to a, back to a place where I quit everything I knew and everything I had accomplished and said, I will leave all of that to come follow you, Jesus. He took me back to a place in 2005 in which I pulled out my journal from back then and I looked through some of the words that I've written. I'm going to share some of these words with you today. Bear with me because uh, as I read it, it brings a lot of pain to me because how ostentatious I sound. As a 20-year-old, 20-something-year-old, I feel like I was overly dramatic. <laughs> so even as I re read these words, I was very, very, it's just a lot of cringe, you know? <laughs> March 3rd, 2005. Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. <laughs> and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That's not me writing, that's actually the words of Isaiah. 
This is me, a sinner, but the coal has been taken and has touched my lips, so my guilt is taken away and my sins atoned for. Thank you, Jesus. I hear the voice of the Lord. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I respond, here I am, send me. Sorry, I'm emotional because this reminds me of my grandma, which just passed last week. And just, yeah. I go on to write, these words feel so right to me as I write this today. But what does it mean? Am I truly willing to be sent? People will think I'm crazy. I don't even know what it means. I don't even want to work in a church or be a pastor. That wouldn't be right. I'm not pastor material, nor do I want to be in the likes of them. So what else is there for me to do? Christian organizations, humanitarian work, seems like a good path. Do I go back to school? I don't want to go back to school. I hate school. <laughs> and honestly, who wants to go to Bible school or seminary, those dorks? Am I really ready to leave my job and, and, and what I love? I've worked so hard at this. Maybe in a couple of years I can go. Why do I feel so tortured in this? My life is great. Just ignore these things for now. So that was March 3rd, 2005. There's this, as I was reading, there's this weird entry, and I, I just want to share this because it's weird and stupid and funny. March 14th, it said, I took a walk last night in the dark. The snow fell, the northern lights were out, and it danced across the sky. It felt as if heaven was having a party and I'm not invited to it. I mean, who's this kid? <laughs> so dramatic. So dramatic. I, I, like I said, cringe factor. I read this and I was just like, who is this? I was, I was 23 at the time and I'm like, ah. Oh. I look back at my 23-year-old self, I just want to slap him. But March 15th. We finished the project with CFSA. It stands for Child and Family Services of Alberta. And I got to open the doors to these amazing kids. In so many ways, I'm jealous of the workers there and the impact and care they get, they get to invest into kids, kids' lives, and I feel so blessed to be able to do my part in it. I guess it's also what I love. Besides from form and function and space, I want to invest in people. Is that weird? Tony said, give my best years are those years today? I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind, but I guess to give my best is to give my first fruits. These days are my first fruits. Today is my first fruit. I want to do this more. I am meant to do work with that, those that don't have resources. I want to invest in those that don't have a voice. I want to give them a reason to live, and I want to give what God has given me, the grace and mercy that everyone is gifted but does not deserve. I guess today I'm going to start looking to see what this all means. Here I am, Lord, send me. The background story of that last paragraph that I read was I got the privilege to work on a group home setting for Alberta Health. And I was able to be on the team that designed um, this group home and it was finally finished. And in working with those people, I was, able, I was so blessed and just confirmed to me, beyond my call as an architect, it's a call into ministry. So this was the beginning of me going into ministry. Over the last 17 years, God has shaped me into who I am today. Although maybe feeling a little lost sometimes, I was reminded of the commitment that I made to him. Here I am, send me. Honestly, like, it was surreal to kind of read some of these entries. You don't really read your journals so much. And man, I was a punk. <laughs> but what God really re was reminding me of was his goodness these days. Even though I may not always see his goodness, God is reminding me of who he is and who I am. God is reminding me of his sovereignty over all things that he has for me. He reminds me that I am chosen. He reminds me that even 
if things are a little messy for me right now, that he's there in the mess with me. He reminds me that he leads me and I will lead from there. These are the verses that God has given me over the last couple months. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your, your, your path straight. Proverbs 69 says, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes steps. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Isaiah 58, 11, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in the scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a water garden, like a spring of water whose water will not fall. Psalms 32, 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, and I will counsel you with my eye upon you. So I know that if I just lean into these truths, then I cannot go wrong. But what do I do? I ask God a very specific question. What do I do with the church? I need to do something. And God, throughout this time, has already given me the answers to that back in 2005. Serve the widows and orphans. This call was, is actually found throughout the Bible. It talks about protecting and serving the widows and the orphans. And the Bible's primary message from God is to serve the poor. In James 1.27, it says, Religion that is pure and underlined before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself abstained from the world. Exodus 22.22 says, You shall not mistreat any widows or fatherless child. Isaiah 117 says, lean to do good, seek justice, correct oppressions, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's case. Psalms 146.9 says, the Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds, what? The widows and the fatherless. Psalms 82.3 says, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Deuteronomy 10.18 says, he ex executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, sojourner, giving him food and clothing. These are all verses that is talking about serving the widows and the orphans. The widows and orphans are people that were basically at the bottom of society. And widows who were, oft, were often left on their own trying to figure out how to live life would become beggars and prostitutes. Same things for the orphan. There's no real social welfare system back in the biblical time. So God says, take care of these people. These are the people of the lowest of the low. They are the poorest of the poor. They have suffered injustice. Those that don't have a voice. Those that nobody cares about. This may feel to you as if it's a new call for five stone, but I assure you it's not. Just as Rich has said, before we had this building, we had the Dream Center. At the Dream Center, half of that warehouse was dedicated to donations that were given to those that are in need. We worked with so many different families. We reached out to so many people. And there are so many people in this room that has been part of that. I look at Andrew and Maria who continuously provided food for the homeless, even after we, we left the Dream Center. We look at Jim and Nancy, Ruth and Eugene. I look at all of these people that have been here for so long and have worked through so many things that we've done at Five Stones, and I'm just like, this is not new for Five Stones. But what we're going to do is we're going to bring it back, and we're going to elevate it. One of the things that I want to see Five Stones do is not serve, just serve the widow's and the orphans, but to heal their hearts. I want Five Stones to become a place of where people are able to come and find healing and restoration. Not just a place where their physical needs are met, but that their spiritual and emotional needs are met as well. That they are healed from the inside out through, through Jesus Christ, knowing that it is the blood of Christ that has set them free. What won't change is what built five stones, but what will change is an elevated version of what five stones is.
I want people to be able to come through to experience the power of God no matter where they are in life. I want them to come and feel accepted. I want them to come and feel like they could explore who they are as they encounter Jesus. I want those that come experience the miracles of God through healing. Physical healing, but healing is in so many forms also spiritual and emotional. I want people to find their identity in who Christ is. And I know that this is where God wants me to lead. As I lead five stones, I want that same charge from God to Isaiah. It says, whom shall I send and who will go for me? And I want five stones church to respond with saying, here I am, send me. Because the more that we do in terms of serving the poor and serving the widows and orphans, the less you think of the things that you don't have. The more that you do things like this, the more we see how blessed we are. The more you do things like this, the more God gives you to do because you have proven what he has given you and that you could give it all away. This is not a new culture, but this is the church culture. This is not a new thing to focus on, but a new season to represent the gospel at, in New Westminster. Five Stones will be a place where people find refuge, a place where people are healed because this is the church. It's what we're supposed to do. So I don't know what's going to change. I know that everything Rich has shared is true. That those things will remain. But I also know that as a leader, I want to equip you guys to do exactly all of those things. And I think what we're going to see is a change in who we look, in, in how we look. It's a change in our own spirit. It's a change in who we are. On Wednesday, we had a funeral for my grandma. I stand here as her legacy. Her legacy of faith. And I will leave this church in the way that God wants me to lead it. Not in the way that I want to lead it, but in, in what he has for me. So can we pray? Father God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. And we worship you. Lord, there may be so many things in this world that doesn't make sense, but Lord, we know that you do. There may, there may be so many questions in our heart and questions in our spirit. But Lord, we know that you never change, that you are always the same. And that we can always come to you knowing that you are a good father that cares deeply for us. So Father God, may we be a church that responds in the same way. When you ask, who will go for me? As Five Stones Church, we say, here I am, send me. So, Father God, we just continue the legacy that Rich has started here. But, Lord, it is your church that we're building, and it is in Jesus' name that we do all things. So, Father God, we lift this church into your hands, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, John. The baton handoff is going to be good. I hope that caught a sense of the power tools that God is giving John. When we were in Taiwan, John had told me, even before we left, he was going to seek the Lord, fast, pray. Just the, the weight of coming into this office you know, was coming on him, and that fear of the Lord was coming on him, as it does for every person that assumes this role and 
couple times when I would check in from Taiwan, he'd say, yeah, it's going well, it's going well. I so appreciate just how the Lord orchestrated his time of seeking him. And it wasn't so much about the function as it was about the identity. Because out of the identity, the function, the ministry, the goals, they will come naturally. But God wanted to make sure that his servant was placed on the rock. For him to go back and look at his journal entries, in one sense for it to be bookend with the passing of his grandmother, she was a mighty woman of God. I was there at the funeral with Mimi and some of the others from the church, and her story is amazing. And when John says that he's a legacy, he's not just throwing out a complimentary line about his grandmother. She prayed for that family. She came to the Lord in her 60s, I believe, and she passed in her 90s. In those 30 years, the whole family became a tribe unto Jesus. They were not in the Lord. Those 30 years, normally you think of a mama raising their kids and their little ones and they're pouring scripture into them. She did it when she was 60. I think one of the best lines I heard at her passing was John says, and now the next pastor I'd like to invite up. Three of the grandchildren are pastors. How many great-grandchildren? Nine? That's a praying woman. That's how you can influence a whole tribe, multiple generations. And so I just see that the Lord is aligning John's heart, his vision, who he is for this next assignment. And it's awesome. But here's the bottom line, dear ones. We're not choosing John. It's not human agency. It's not just me and the elders. Yes, we have a part. It's not just the apostolic team. It's God who is choosing his servant. And that's the most important thing because that's the grace John will need. That's the, the mantle that he will need. So, Lord, every church goes through these seasons where leadership changes. And we know that there's extra grace that's poured out. And we thank you for that, God. We know there will be bumps and there will be hiccups, but it's all part of it. That we get to pull together. We get to be unified and focused in a new way, in a fresh way. We thank you, God, that we're just part of a chain that has started 2,000 years ago. And we get the privilege of representing you as leaders and as a congregation. More than ever, make that clear in our hearts in this hour, God, so that we are focused on you and we can just swipe away the distractions. So bless John as he continues, God, to prepare his heart. Bless his family. Bless us, God, as Five Stones Church. And as we said from day one, we give you all the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.